Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Matt Ellis with us here today with Measurable.com. And I'm going to make sure to have that link in the show notes because uh, you need to do Measurable without the E at the end. And uh, just, to, just to call that out. So head over to reimastermind.net for those show notes. But uh, Matt and I are going to talk about ESG today. And, and this is an acronym that we're going to stretch out here in a minute. But uh, Matt, in a nutshell, let's let's start simple. What is ESG? Great. Happy to describe it, Jack. I'm pleased to be talking with you today. So ESG stands for Environmental Social Governance. And what it is trying to capture is the whole set of risks and rewards in real estate, as well as other asset classes, that we have for most of our history never bothered to measure, let alone manage. So it's everything from carbon emissions and energy consumption on the environmental side through to policies and procedures around how you compensate your executive officer related to things like diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's a huge continuum of concerns in the real estate business. And I know that a lot of people that listen to this show are relatively new to real estate investing, and you're going to start to wonder for yourself, well, how does this really impact me? This sounds like stuff that impacts commercial real estate, and it definitely does. However, it is coming your way because I, frankly, I'm starting to see some of these questions in some of the underwriting for just single family homes and a few other things lately. It's entirely true. Um, There's a few reasons for that. You know, one is that there's just a broad acceptance from lenders, you know, Wells Fargo, Fannie Mae, and the multifamily segment that sustainability matters in terms of the property's overall return. And so they're starting to ask these questions. And the other thing about it is that the single family and multifamily segments are increasingly institutionalized. So the people that are buying those properties are more bigger platforms like invitation homes and so forth. And their money and their pressure is asking these types of questions as well. So it's really a combination of policy changes and investor appetite changes. So let's let's start with uh, some of this. Like, you know, we, we you, you mentioned the money and some of the underwriting. How have you seen it? giving people better access to capital, for example. Fannie Mae was the first, at least in the United States, to start to do this. They had a very famous, and now it's an enormous program, Fannie Mae's Green Lending Program. And what it did was it offered specifically multifamily properties, a discount on their interest rate in exchange for taking action on energy and water. So to be more efficient. And it was a very popular program. Um, it spawned multiple imitators. I think Freddie Mac has now got something. We're planning to release something. And it's been, um, I think it's, um, we're talking tens of billions of dollars now in loans that have gone out for quote unquote green buildings um, in, the fa- in the multifamily segment. So that's the most famous example here in the US where underwriting terms changed uh, for sustainability. There's some other examples at the institutional level. So if you look out there at Boston Properties or Prologis or Canadian REIT called RioCan, a number of others, they've issued green bonds. And what we're seeing is that these bonds are being substantially oversubscribed. 
which means that they have lower borrowing costs. Yeah, this, this is one of those things that uh, really perplexes a lot of people. You know, the, the the concept that some of this stuff has to be considered now, especially when you're talking about multifamily properties or commercial properties, like, and and keeping track of it. That's where your specialization comes in, right? Is is you have a tool, an online tool that allows this to generate essentially the necessary reports to adhere to some of these regulations and requirements? Would that be fair to say? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we provide the essential tools to measure sustainability impact. And that's the thing about that is you cannot manage what you do not measure, right? So in order to apply for the loan or to respond to the investor request or the resident or tenant requests, first you have to have the data and that's the business that we're in. Sure. So uh, with all of that, uh, you know, let's talk about some of those regulations that you're seeing today. Like, what are some of those environmental, for example, type of uh, things that you've seen some of the bigger players enforce when they do some of the uh, underwriting? Sure. Well, let's start with sort of municipal and then sort of state level codes. Um, in the last, oh, three, four years, you've seen this blossom from a few dozen jurisdictions like Cambridge, Massachusetts or, you know, New York. Um, San Francisco, the more progressive communities where there happen to be a lot, a de- huge density in real estate. Um, now there are you know, well over 60 jurisdictions in the United States that have got some requirement that you disclose the property level, energy and or water and or carbon. Okay, so this is a very new and fast moving phenomenon. They're actually required by law to make these disclosures. Now, at the state level, what you often see is building code changes. California is famous for this, but... Um, and been on the books for a long time. I think it's Title 24 is the one that's around energy and environmental responsibility, but other communities are, are latching on. So you're seeing a change in disclosure. And at the same time, you're seeing a big push towards new building codes that are much stricter. Um, they're forcing on property owners more considerations around renewables on site um, or retail or excuse me, resource uh, building materials um, or everything above. So I really think the policy at the state and the local level is important. I'd like to point one more thing out too, Jack, which is the the financing of clean energy and carbon reductions in properties is back way back at Berkeley, California. Um, this is probably over a decade ago that they invented PACE, Property Assessed Clean Energy. And what that PACE financing was, was an ability to get money for energy savings and also other um, environmental management tools and put that in the capital stack of the property uh, by attaching it to the tax, property tax. So it was senior to everything else. And that was a revolutionary invention. It's really changed the way that we can finance clean energy and properties of all types. Yeah. So out, outside of the access to the, the capital, whether, you know, through these programs, what are some of the other benefits somebody could realize uh, if they adhere to, to a, some of these? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's, look, there's been a big conversation about how attractive this is to the resident right? Multifamily and single family. And that was a debate. You know, we weren't sure how compelling sustainability was when someone's evaluating one multifamily project versus another multifamily project. But what we've seen happen in the commercial space is encouraging. In commercial, we were actually able to prove out. I used to work for CBRE and and on sustainability matters. And we were doing a lot of analyses to see if there's a correlation between property value and, and lease rates and their sustainability performance, usually by looking at things like Energy Star certificates or LEED certification. And we found that there was a strong correlation. And so we're seeing what happened in commercial property 
port over to residential property, we're saying these same types of benefits. And, and at the end of the day, what's happening there is that people are voting with their feet. Tenants or now residents are willing to pay more for more sustainable properties. And I think that trend is well documented now and I expect it to increase and improve over time. Yeah. And I, I, I'm, I'm amazed too that you, we talk about the benefits associated with the funding, but I mean, there's other uh, funding app options that like, for example, uh, my elect- local electric company in one of the one of my twelve plexes, they would pay for me to put smart thermostats in in the units. Yeah, there's you know it's it, all it, of these little perks. Right, you think of it as a perk, smart metering. You know uh, that gave you more. See, what was cool about that stuff is that you, for the first time as a property owner, you were getting enabling technologies that allowed you to quote unquote measure right the energy consumption, forget carbon emissions for a moment. And then you realized, well, look, if I can manage down, right, make my properties more efficient, I might be able to capture more net operating income. So it was a very primal instinct, right? It wasn't about carbon emissions per se. It was just about maximizing NOI and improving property value. And there, you're right. There was a whole, a lot of utilities got into this game. They had regulatory pressure on them to reduce the amount of electrons they were pushing out to market, the best way they could do that was help make the properties more efficient. Yeah. Well, and then with that too, you know, there's a, there's a benefit to the tenants too. They might have a environmentally conscious push to, to move into these type of apartment buildings, but in a way too, they're, they're probably going to be saving money on their utilities or, or what have you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, this is one of those things that just fascinates me because when you, when you think about it, uh, not only, you get some of these benefits that, you know, I pick on the local electric company, for example, and they were going to provide these updated thermostats to the units, but it, it does reduce the utility costs for the resident. And then it also typically is going to help me in some way regarding the cash flow. I mean, I, I can usually increase the rents for some of these extra benefits and, and if I can get my overall expenses down, I mean, that's a win-win for everybody. You know, I sometimes think about it like being in the military. Everyone knows how there's a military perk everywhere you turn, right? Whether you're dining out on a Friday evening or you're going to college. And I think sustainability feels like that to me somehow. It's like if you are in a forward posture on sustainability as a landlord and you're interested in what amenities the utility might provide for free, what efficiency programs they might provide for free, what technologies you might access at a discount. Um, what data insights you might gain to be more competitive as you operate your buildings. Like all of these things are just blossoming out of paying any attention whatsoever. Now that's the carrot though. Like the stick is also coming to be clear, right? These are these regulations that you and I are talking about. So whether you like it or not, right, this issue will affect you. It'll come over the transom from your lender. Who's going to ask the question about how much energy do you use? How's that changed over time? And your interest rate could uh, change as a result or fundamentally your access to capital, right? That sounds to me a lot more like a stick. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we definitely, especially in real estate though, we're kind of used to being pushed in certain directions. I mean, real estate investing is attractive and, and the government has made it attractive for obvious reasons. That's, that's the, we're kind of used to that paradigm. You know, people, one thing I get asked often is sort of the why question. You know, why is this affecting real estate of all things? And I, people are not uh, typically aware of these two things. <laughs> one, 
it is the world's largest asset class. That is true. 17 trillion asset value in commercial, I think something like 40 in residential. You can check my figures, but they're like that order of magnitude. The second that people didn't know, weren't very aware of, was that it was also one of the most environmentally and socially impactful asset classes. It's 40% of US carbon emissions are coming from buildings by virtue of the energy they consume. It's like 30% of the potable water. It's like 28% of the raw materials. We spend 90% of our time indoor, either in an office building or more or less these days at our homes where we're working and sleeping, right? So the health and well-being implications are vast. So you got to really remember, like, there's a reason the policy and the capital is focusing on real estate. It's big, both in terms of dollar value and environmental and social impact. So is there a, a does your tool maybe do, does this? Is there a way for somebody to assess quickly a property, whether it's commercial or otherwise, whether it's would be worthwhile for them financially to make these type of moves? The short answer is in residential real estate right now, the utility is probably one of your better friends. For I'm talking about a single family home. If the homeowner just wanted to know where they were at, they should be able to look at their utility these days and see a little bar, bar chart that says, here's you versus comparable households. And then typically they'll even advertise incentives and programs for you there. Um, in the commercial space, which is where we do at Measurable most of our work, the sophistication is significant, right? So we have a platform now that gives you a whole set of metrics that you can understand automatically. It compares you against whole portfolios of real estate or other buildings in other cities around the world. So we can actually draw a straight line to which buildings are good or bad relative to their peers and specifically what you might be able to do to improve them with the highest ROI. So the, the toolkit for commercial is very sophisticated and we're doing more and more work in the residential, especially the multifamily side. Um, so these things are coming out there too. So your platform, but what, how much data does somebody have to enter versus it being automated? Like what, what do you already have? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our, our sort of, some of our secret sauce at Measurable has been around automation because people don't want to enter data. And if they do, they tend to make mistakes. So um, we can fully automate your utility data and your utility bills from your local utility company. We can fully automate whether or not a building has got a particular certification, like a lead or an energy star. We can fully automate even things as complex as physical climate risk, flood, wildfire, hurricane risk which is increasingly important for your insurance policies. So all of that just requires you to enter a building address, and then we can return a set of statistics, including your regulatory exposure, which we were talking about. Do you, do you have a law that compels this building to disclose its energy consumption? Um, and then the utilities just got to put a username and password in, and we can sync up with that utility too. So we're getting really good at this type of stuff to bring that data in fast and efficiently. So when we when you're talking about ESG, we 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 talk briefly here now regarding environmental. What aspects of the social do you track, or what what talk about that layer a little bit? Sure. So social, if you go back to you've heard you know Legionnaires' disease, right? This was a real controversy, and it ex, you know um, issues of asbestos and all stuff. And what happened was it became clear that the real estate owner and developer had some responsibility to make sure that these buildings were safe and healthy. Now what's going on today is that's really being stretched to a whole new level. So you have commercial landlords who are installing technologies to count pathogens because they're responsible for or care about COVID, 
right? Mm -hmm. What about landlords who are tracking heat and temperature and light, biophilia? We're all behind this idea that because we spend so much of our time, 90% indoors, that naturally, if we can improve that healthy experience for that occupant, more occupants should come and pay higher rents or spend more time shopping. So the S is the problem with S is that it's difficult and expensive right now to measure those things. You typically have to put sensors in the building um, or do other spot checks with experts. So it hasn't gotten the degree of adoption that environmental concerns have that will also evolve. On the governance side, what's going on is um, in some ways it's actually the most developed for publicly traded companies. They have always had to disclose what their policies and procedures say. Um, and now they're being asked about DEI and executive compensation and climate risk and net zero targets. Not so much for private and especially not so much for small private. So G is either advanced on the institutional side or immature for sure on the small single family side. Um, S is in the wings. It's waiting. It's merging. Still, it's avant-garde, if you will environmental concerns are where the day the battle's being fought today. Yeah, that that social aspect though, especially over the past two years, we've we've kind of seen a a pretty significant surgence, I would guess. You know, I had somebody that I talked to recently that that had a company that put in air filtration systems, you know, and 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 what you were talking about there. And I don't think they that they had a booming business over the past two years because that's in the, that was such a huge focus, right? But you're right, you know, the governance aspect, I can I can really see that being the case, you know, being the most mature. And usually we kind of see that on bigger corporations, government entities, and then unfortunately for for most of us, it starts to trickle down into the smaller investors or the smaller properties. Yep. I think what starts this is, you know, money and policy are very top down. And as they change their criteria, their expectations, you know, it knocks into the major properties and then it cascades down to the smaller properties of different categories. So I think we can see that the writing is on the wall here is one way I think about it. Yeah. So I think a lot of people are going to, when you first come into mind, you know, you're talking about ESG commercial properties, that this could possibly be relatively expensive to implement, manage and, and like, what are your thoughts regarding that? Well, is it is it expensive to implement and manage it or is it more expensive to not be able to attract tenants or attract financing? You know, it's, I think it's, a, it's as existential as that. It is just a question of time. So I think that that's always been the knock on sustainability is that, you know, that this is more expensive. What we found out was that there are bread and butter tactics like light bulb retrofits, basics of building operations and maintenance, you know, commissioning of BMS systems that are very fundamental that are cost-effective, immediate payback, you know, 90-day payback, 12-month payback. So when we think about sustainability a little bit more narrowly about building operations and things that we can do there, you, you might find that, no, in fact, it pays for it. It's not expensive whatsoever, at least over a period of time, maybe only if you think about it as an upfront capital cost. Well, it, it sounds like it just takes a lot of education just to get everybody on board, just so they understand, actually understand the whole system. Look, I mean, let's remember that this is a business of real estate is providing shade and shelter to office workers or, or residents, right? 
And it has always been a big job. The property managers I used to work next to were still worried about leaky roofs, you know, and still worried about whether or not the, the, the plumbing had, had, had sprouted a leak and all the rest. So you're, I, I'm with you that it absolutely is an expansion of the mandate of a, of a landlord, professional owner of property that they've got to now add sustainability concerns. My, my olive branch on that is you'll find that these are not just profitable or position your asset for better tenant experience and attraction and retention of tenants. Um, that's being well documented, but you'll find that the, the, just like in understanding the economics of real estate, the more educated you are, the more effective you are. And this is just one more aspect of being in the real estate business. So with commercial properties, you typically have uh, individual businesses that you're dealing with. Do you find that a lot of these property owners then also have to get existing, their existing customers on board to let, to enable some of this? Yeah, it, it can be the case because there's this thing we have a fancy term of the split incentive, which is basically saying, look, you know, take a take a multifamily building. Um, you might, as a landlord, control the common areas and the fountain, the garden, apartment, community um, in terms of water. But you don't control whether that light bulb is turned on or off in the morning and at night. Um, the resident does that. And the resident pays those utility bills. And so there was a big debate about, well, what extent should the landlord be compelled to do anything about this and frankly can do anything about this? What we've learned is that because there's that emerging appetite for more sustainable property and experiences by residents, there's those millennials again and whatever comes past them, the the equation got flipped that we wanted to be engaged by our landlord to help us with recycling programs in the community or energy conservation measures. So the landlord could become your friend. Usually he's more of an antagonistic relationship. And um, that's because the landlord had the capital to control and invest in all these other things that you, the resident, did not. So you were in it together, basically. The resident wanted to see more sustainable outcomes. The landlord wanted to save money and keep happy tenants. It turns out sustainability is a great way for those two parties to meet. Yeah, I can understand yeah, I can. that. So could you give us an example? Like, Do you have a, an example of a property that came on board, implemented some of the recommendations that you're talking about? And uh, like the property, maybe the property value from before versus after? Yeah. Well, I mean, I yeah, I've got 12 billion square feet of examples, I suppose, right? Remember, that measurables were the most widely adopted ESG technology for real estate on the planet. We serve hundreds of companies with, you know, many, many tens of thousands of assets in 90 countries. And there's a reason for that. Um, it's the reason is because they know that there's profitability and sustainability. And um, when you look at, say, just the multifamily segment, a good example, this would be Avalon Bay is one of the premier multifamily owners out there, a great pioneer in that segment around sustainability and tenant and resident engagement. And um, I think that when you look at the stock price of those types of publicly traded companies relative to, you know, their less advanced peers, you can see the difference right there. And there's some nice studies just looking at the S&P 500 performance and cross-referencing, quote unquote, sustainable stocks, which you can get from, say, an S&P global, and they outperform. So, you know, when you look at it, the portfolio level, you, you see these individual benefits really start to show up in aggregate. Yeah, I guess we didn't even talk about that. I mean, you, you're talking about yeah, publicly traded companies, but you, you're you talking about a lot of investors and 
and private capital that are investing in these type of properties. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of private capital out there that's also attracted to these type of projects. Yeah, the private equity segment, think of like TPG or Goldman Sachs, uh, Blackstone, right? That has really found religion on this issue. You know, Blackstone, of course, is backing some of the most famous, has backed some of the most famous single family residential platforms out there. Uh, so I think that private equity, which is a really interesting version of the broader capital stack in real estate, that's just a, a really good example of that the math is behind this issue. And um, it doesn't need it doesn't need shareholders, right? It doesn't need a public REIT to do this. It means that the money at the individual asset level on the deal level is, is still there. Sure. Well, maybe my day job is going to sneak in here a little bit <laughs> in the fact that and now I'm going to ask you questions regarding the data and, and how you're using this. It's, it sounds like the more people and the more companies and the more properties that you come have come on board, your your platform gets stronger and stronger because of all that data and information that's being shared with you. Would that be fair to say? Fair to say. I think we're seeing that in a lot of real estate technology, by the way. There is a real, the real gold rush in the real estate technology business is control over data because in the real estate business, the historically we've all worked on a, information asymmetry. You know, if I was CBRE, world's largest real estate services company, I might know more about properties and what they're buying or, or selling for and leasing for than you. And that would mean I was the better advisor and you'd hire me as your broker. Technology is coming in and it's becoming a platform used by all parties. And in that environment, um, the more data you have, the more valuable are, you are to the next consumer of your product because you give them more insights. But the consequence of this is it's forcing brokers, lenders, and everyone who used to be able to, to win on information asymmetry to really win on value. <laughs> And value creation because everyone is starting to have access to the same information. So I think that's just a bigger, it's not so much an ESG thing as a overall trend in the property business towards more transparency. And I think that's overall more better. Yeah. So when I, I would guess that a lot of the governance information then is very localized, you know, we're kind of seeing California, for example, is going to have different governance than Florida or Texas. So how, how that's some obvious, well, how granular is your platform then? Do, does it go down to that? And do you keep track of the different governance requirements in the different regions? It's so to an extent, I'd say, Jack, like, like some things we can look at is, you know, say California has got a board diversity requirement. Um, and I don't recall whether that's for publics and privates or just publics on the diversity requirements, uh, gender diversity. And so that's a state law and you know it's on the books and it doesn't matter whether you're a real estate company or otherwise it would affect you so what measurables looking at mostly when it comes to governance is the documentation that proves or lays out at least what you do on environmental social matters so we in our system are uh, storing the policies and the procedures and the evidence that the that the enterprise is doing these things as compelled to do by law or more sure so do you help individuals, you know, just bring some of the, those concepts to the forefront so they're aware of it in their, in their market? I mean, we, our job is to lay out the tools for doing all this work in the same and scalable fashion. Right. And because of what you're pointing out, Jack, there's so many differences by region, by city, you know, let alone by state and national 
regime, uh, because we are serving customers around the world, that I think when you look at the technology, what you'll see is a optimal state. And your task is to see if you can fill in this S bucket, the G bucket, the E bucket in order to be benchmarked as best of breed, so if that's your goal, right? But what it does do is it illuminates the gaps very quickly. So you, if you have no policies, if you have no utility data, if you have no awareness of certification status or regulatory status, if you can't track your capital investment or know any of your ROIs, that will be quickly revealed because you will have a blank picture looking at you. And our most sophisticated customers by comparison have a deep data asset that they can answer every single question that I just posed and give you the evidence with a click of a button. Yeah. So, you know, this, in a nutshell, it really seems like, well, first of all, what, what Matt has pointed out here for the past 25 minutes is, is that this is, this is coming your way one way or another. And then we, we better uh, get on board or at least have it on our radar so that we, we know it's coming, but there's quite a few benefits, not only financially, but uh, but let's, well, let's be honest, especially financially, um, as you're attracting ad- existing tenants or new tenants, uh, increased rents, increased property value. I mean, there's a lot of benefits associated with this for people in order to uh, get on board the the concept here. And measurable is going to be a great tool for you. So I would te- definitely send everybody to measurable.com again to uh, take a look at some information. And frankly, I have to admit, Matt, I was cheating a little bit because there's a, P, a free PDF that people can download that kind of does a that has a great FAQ and a lot of information there for them to kind of get. A, it's just a good primer. So head over to measurable.com. Remember, it doesn't have the E. I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes. But uh, Matt, this was a great uh, primer today. I really appreciate your time and and uh, letting me put you on the spot on a couple things. But before I let you go. Is there a question you wished I would have asked you here today or a concept we should have covered? I'll tell you what, I think the basic, thank you, Jack. It was a lot of fun to talk with you. I think this is an issue that is at least needs to be on people's plate to uh, address and uh, irrespective of your size. But I think the, the main thing is, do you know all your material risks and potential rewards? And if I told you that to answer that question, you now needed to know your environmental and social impacts, then I hope you can answer yes. And if you can't, I hope you start to think about how you could and that this conversation today was illuminating that way. So that's it. Thanks for the time, Jack. Well, I appreciate it. You're welcome back anytime. I hope you'll take me up on that and uh, we'll talk to you again very soon. Thank you, sir. Cheers. If you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing, if so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.